Alrighty, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Just Seven Senate Podcast with your host, David Baker. Uh, this is a recording after the interview tonight with tonight's guest. I was going through, was putting stuff together and realized that there was some technical difficulties at the very, very beginning. So I'm going to basically chop it where the difficulties ended and then you'll just pick up uh where where it messed up was me in the very beginning talking about my weekend this past weekend uh, i was up there at pig river precision with the modern day sniper advanced precision long range course i forgot what it, the actual title was called but uh with kaylin and phil i had a great time learned a lot of cool stuff and it was always a good time to be with phil and kaylin uh, we recorded a couple of podcasts for the Modern Day Sniper, and um, and that's that's basically it. That's the nuts and bolts of what the uh, will be the lost audio. So um, this will be spliced and put in front of that. So after this, you will hear a short pause, and then it'll pick up in the you know after if there's only the first forty seconds of the recording, so first thirty or forty seconds. So no big deal. Anyway, appreciate it, guys. Stick with me. Vallejo uh, competition class. I uh, didn't make that one, but I went to the advanced precision long range, whatever it's called. I'm not even sure what it's what it was called, but it was a kick-ass course. And let me tell you, Pig River uh, brought it. The wind on Saturday was fucking gnarly. Um, we uh, it was. Probably this, maybe the second worst time, uh, or I should say the second worst wind conditions that I've shot in out there. Um, first, the, the worst one was back in, oh hell, when was that? March or so when me and CL went up and shot up there, uh, one day up there, it was blowing its fucking ass off and I mean, it averaged like 20. Yeah, I think you were there for that match, Mike. Um, but we, uh, it was blowing 20 something up to 25 mile an hour. And this, this time it was 12 to 18, you know, all day long and cold as a well digger's ass. Um, but they put on an awesome clinic an awesome course. Um, you know, some of the, the best things that I picked up from the class, had nothing to do with shooting. It was all prep for a stage, like as far as having just the, something, things as simple as like the breakdown of way Kalen does his dope cards for a course of fire, or I should say not his dope cards, but for like his data board for each stage, how he breaks them down, how he writes the format he writes them out at. Um, and then the, the actual information that he has on there and how he writes that information to where on the clock under duress, you can easily distinguish what the information that you need to take from it and everything. It was, that was one of my favorite things, but there was tons of info and had a blast, a lot of practical shooting, uh, competition stuff thrown in there. A lot of stuff that you would find in like a NRL hunter course or actual hunting. Um, 
we we had a, an awesome group of people. I think we had like a total of 17 or 18 students. We recorded two podcasts uh, for the Modern Day Sniper. One was an impromptu. The second was an impromptu. We were just eating chili uh, that Kalen had made, and we started talking reloading shit, and Phil was like, hold on a second. Stop talking. I'm getting we're recording this shit. This is a podcast. And then we went for like an hour or two, like two hours. And then the night before the one we'd set up, we were with uh, uh, three active duty urban scout snipers that are stationed at Lejeune, just an hour and a 20 hour and a half up the road from me. And one a Dutch Marine who is stationed with them. He's like a fucking foreign exchange student program, but he's been here for six months and is going to be here for a while. So, um, but his name was, um, Hans, real cool dude. And all of them were cool, but we did a podcast where it was, uh, me, Phil, Kalen, Owen, who is one of Kalen's students from sniper school back in like 20 years ago. Um, and then he became a scout sniper instructor and then became a, a civilian contractor, um, for teaching Marines like tracking and other stuff like that. And then we had the, the, the four Marines. It was all one big podcast that went for like two hours and 40 minutes. And, uh, it was a kick-ass podcast. I was a little jealous that we weren't recording for mine because that turned out to be in both, both podcasts turned to be awesome. So y'all check out the modern day sniper for those. I don't think they really haven't checked. They haven't released either one of them yet, but they, I'm sure they will at least the first one this week. And I, I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. Um, but I had to cut my weekend short. Um, Courtney's grandmother was um, post pacemaker surgery, had one of the leads pop off and actually puncture her heart. And that became a whole problem. And then it looked real dicey there for a while. And uh, I, I had to come home. I had to come home Monday because I missed the last day. Uh, but um, I, I hated that. But, you know, you need to be here for your family. Family comes first before everything. And I, I was glad I came home to be here for her. And then she turned out to, to do fine. She went through. They they brought in a one of the best cardiac specialists in uh, in the nation. And he took care of her. She's she's home. She's doing fine. And so. We're out of the woods, but anyway, I just want to give you guys a recap of, of the weekend. Um, and, uh, I got a little hunting story, but I'm sure me and Mike will be talking about that. But tonight's guest is none other than my good buddy, whom I have referred to on this podcast on more than one occasion, uh, an avid listener and a, a really dear friend of mine, Mr. Mike Burns. How are hey, you doing, Doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Hello to everybody out there listening. Yeah, so Mike, you're up in up in Richmond, Virginia, and we we shoot a lot of the same matches, whether it be here in North Carolina or up in Virginia, um, even in uh, West Virginia. Last year at the war match at Peacemaker, um, and I'll tell you what, Mike, I'm gonna say this. I've always thought of myself to be like a fun guy to shoot a match with. No, no, sir. You take the crown of the funnest person to shoot a match with, sir. And, uh, your whole, everything about you when you're on a stage 
would lend someone to think that you absolutely suck until you shoot. Because you have no idea. Where's my Kestrel at? I ain't got a mag loaded. I know. What's the damn course of fire here? Dude, you are all sixes and sevens up in your mind. And then when you get on that stage, motherfucker, you absolutely rock it. Um, it's That's why it's so fun. That's one of the reasons why it's so fun to shoot with you. It happens, man. It's sometimes you get there and you get to talking with you guys and we're telling stories and we're bullshitting. And the next thing you know, it's like, hey, you're up. And it's like, um, okay, let me make sure I got uh, – where the hell is my rifle? Hold on. I got to go find it. And it just yeah, works out like yeah. that. We shot the Guardian together. You were the Roman RO, and I'm telling you, you ROing it. I felt bad for you because I've been there uh, many times. I, I refuse to do it. I told you. We talked about it. Yep. I will not. I will not RO and shoot a match at the same time anymore. I'm done. I've I, my scores have have been absolutely hindered to say the least. Um multiple adds, times and yeah it adds a lot of stress to the situation and yet you still somehow find yourself in first place at the end of it which is pretty crazy so let's go back to the let's go back to the guard because you have had some big matches in between then but the the last my last match was the guardian up at pig river and we shot together um day one and day two we got um in the same squad uh, with our partners um and uh man i tell you what you are you're rocking it with that damn 223 bro so it's been super fun shooting it i've been shooting the 88 grainers and that gun just hammers michael garnett did a hell of a job with it um going out and thinking of it as more of a training rifle to start with and then actually shooting it and saying, well, really not a whole lot of difference between this and the BR. Uh, let me see what this will do. And I just kept, you know, super light recalling. It's just really fun to shoot. It is my favorite gun to go out and play with. Is, are you, you're running at like 2,800, ain't you? Yep. 28. Yeah. And I mean, you would think someone, I mean, you're not shooting tack class. Obviously you can't with that bullet, but that's the, that's the crazy thing is that you're, you're crushing people in open with a 223. And now I will say that what is the BC on that 88? I want to say when I did the applied ballistics mobile lab, it was 262. So it wasn't quite as advertised, but it had a very small uh, deviation. Like they were very consistent. The deviation. Yeah. The, the consistency uh, across all the shots tested was within point zero zero one plus or minus so it was, oh you can't beat that dude yeah so that's like that's like solid laid bullet variation almost you know that that's that's awesome that's a lot that says a lot now so a a 105 burger averages right at about 275 and my uh not when i was shooting 95 grain six mil uh smks it's actually a lower BC than your 88 grain ELDM. Yep. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, so, I mean, and run at 2,800, you could definitely run that faster if you wanted to. I mean, you've got the, you got the capacity to do that. Don't you? you can, how fast yeah. I mean, 
I'm running a fairly conservative load with 48.95 just because one, I don't want to burn the brass out after the first firing. So it, I found a spot it likes to shoot, just keeping up with it. Uh, yeah, you could push it faster, but I don't really think you're going to get a whole lot of benefit out of that. Um, at least not in wind, you know? Yeah, not at, no. At distance. It might get a little flatter, but the wind, it might not make much of a difference at all. Yeah. The only thing that I really see the major downfall to shooting that rifle is getting hits on targets at distance. And if you hit one center, it does not want to move that target. It barely yeah. shakes it. It, you know, if you got inexperienced spotters with you and, you know, you almost force yourself to say, well, let me shoot the edge so they can see it move the damn target. So. Yeah. And I mean, you, if, okay, so you're, you're shooting a match with that bullet, knowing that, and you know, if you do have, you don't pick typically pick your ROs. So you might get some guy that's trying to kind of just who probably it's noble for them to want to RO a match, but they shouldn't be behind glass. They should be, running a stage or whatever but yeah and i really like i want to do it i I really like the way that i think they've implemented ro option two a lot here recently which puts a kind of like a stage mom that's running the stage giving you the brief running the timer but calling impacts i don't think there's any better way to call impacts than to have your actual shooters that are with you calling them um you know even if you and i are shooting together if if you hit it i'm gonna give you the hit if you miss it i am not gonna give you that extra one you know no No. yeah your 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 competition is the one that's judging you not some third party you know you're so i don't know many people who are going to be giving hits away that didn't earn them when when the when the ro is is their competitor or their the competition so um but you know, if if you do or if you do find yourself in that situation where you've got that kind of inexperienced eye behind the glass, then you need to be able to see your own, even as as hard as it is to see those hits sometime with a spotting scope. It's behoove you to be able to spot your own hits and say, Hey, that was a hit from that position. Say that on the stage, on the clock, and then revisit move on and revisit it when you're done shooting the stage of like, Hey, look, that position kneeling right there, that first shot was an impact. And then you could have, you know, there's always shooters on glass cause we're all looking at the wind. Right. And so they'd be like, yeah, that, that was a hit. I mean, I, I saw it hit, you know, but you got to mark it right there on the clock. You don't stop there and argue it, but you mark it there on the clock, but that's all fine. And well, if you, as the shooter can see your own, hits on a plate like let's say a full-size ipsic at 850 in a mirage day with a 223 you know there's so if you can then you've got that eye and that's the good thing about you is your shooting is you are literally seeing everything that's going on either on the rifle or on the binos if the conditions are right i've been really fortunate this year it was like one day everything just clicked and I was seeing more than 90% of my trace when I was shooting prone. I was seeing probably 75% of them when I was in a, a kneeling position, like a low rocks position or, you know, low barricade. 
and I was starting to see a decent amount from like a standing position. I still, I still have a little bit of trouble with those just because now with the two, two, three, it did make it a lot easier to see the trace on any position. The gun doesn't move. It really doesn't. It really doesn't move. But the, the, the flip side of that coin is, well, it's also a lot smaller bullet not making as much trace. I don't care if it's in a vice. It's not making physically making as much trace as let's say, uh, uh, you know, uh, one fifteen six mil or a one forty burger hybrid, you know? So right. those are like shooting, weight monsters at that point. Yeah. If you're shooting any six, five, one thirty, one forty class, or, you know, your tack guys getting to watch those guys, you know, launch those footballs through the air with the big, uh, it looks like a jet trail coming off the back of them. Yeah, it's super easy to spot. And I think training your eyes is super difficult as far as anyone can really get behind glass, behind the shooter, and you can see Trace. And you're like, oh, wow, the first time you see it, it's super awesome. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you see yeah, that? You have it looped up and turned to the right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And then – after you keep training your eyes and you start moving, don't stand directly behind the shooter. Stand another couple feet to the side and see if you can still see the trace and then keep moving a little bit different angles from the shooter. You'll start to pick up the trace more and more. And after that, it made it easier for me to pick it up in my own scope. Also yeah. knowing kind of where to look in the reticle yeah. too. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, as as long as I've been shooting, I still have a hard time with trace. Now, I don't have a hard time seeing, you know, this is something me and CL talk about a lot. It's almost like there's almost a, a, you have a choice. Either set stuff up. This is just what we found. You may disagree, and I would then believe you because, you know, obviously results are obvious, but – it's almost like you have a choice. Do you want to set yourself up to be able to watch your trace or do you want to set yourself up to see more of the the impacts on plate or, you know, a little clog of dirt moving right behind the berm? It's it's not as easy, obviously doable, but not as easy to set yourself up to see both at the same time. That's just our experience. But I'm sure, you know. The guys like you and, and and Vibbert is notorious for in any almost every shot as long as the the atmospheric conditions the sunlight the sun position the all that stuff as long as it, Trace is able to be seen period he's he's never missing it right and I'm sure that he also does not have a problem well seeing that edge hit or not just relying on the trace because. Thing about Trace too is, look, as soon as a cloud rolls in front, that shit's gone. You know, no, it, you're, it, no, you're right. It, it's and that's the thing is, you know, having a good in between. You know, if we get a cloudy day and clouds are rolling in and out, well, you might not be able to rely on your trace as heavily. Personally, I feel like if I'm seeing trace, I'm not going to miss, and if I do miss. I know I will not miss the follow-up because right. I just the watched the flight. I know where it's at. So 
I run on a lot lower magnification a, a majority of the time because it's more important to me to see the bullet flight. Now, sometimes when we get on like KYL racks and, you know, really small targets, yeah, I might pick it up a little bit just because I want to really focus on which way that plate is moving. I trust I'm going to get a hit somewhere on the big plate, you know, somewhere on the next big plate. And then really, you know, focus on where is it hitting on those plates to be able to make the small adjustments. Now, that's all fine and good, except for when you go out on a day where the gusts go from, like you said, eight miles an hour to 18. And, you know, then, you know, like New Mexico, that was a lot of pulsing wind. It was it was picking up, letting off, picking up, letting off. So something like that. You know, hey, I still don't have that figured out. It's just making your best guess. Dude, yeah, and we were and we were talking a lot about that at the um, course this weekend, the uh, the modern day sniper course. And you know, we went. You know, Phil starts it out with a big whiteboard, and he writes on the whiteboard. Um, I'll fuck this up. O B F G, and he's like, "What does this mean?" And other people who hadn't heard this spiel yet didn't know, but someone piped up that did hear it because they were there for both classes. They're like one big fucking guess. He said, right. That's exactly what wind calling is. He said, now it's all about, you know, how educated is your wind call? What are you looking for? What are you accounting for? What are you seeing? You know what I'm saying? So and it comes to a point of like they came to point like, look, this this stuff, this wind works. At a place like Pig River here, where I mean, we watched Kalen. Kalen is he's one of the best shooters I know, and I watched him drop off both sides of the plate like multiple times, and he's like, "Holy shit!" Like I had it dialed like perfect from the last one, and then it went off the other side of the plate, you know. And it's just, hey, those are something that I don't want to call it luck of the draw per se um, to, because that's an easy cop out, but I will say that you can't control, you know, when you're shooting where the shooter before you either had no wind or had a constant, like, Hey, I, I held for a five mile hour wind the whole way out the whole time. My wind call held. And then the very next shooter shoots in a five shoots in a 12 shoots in a zero shoots in a three and back up to a 15 you know what i'm saying that that shit happens especially in it definitely depending on where it's depending on where you are in the country or the world i should say um you know some plate some places are just that's more prevalent that's the only time they have win maybe i mean how many times have you shot at paul's uh at frontline defense in warrington north carolina to where you know you know if it's the two day day one there was i mean literally it was fucking straight up all the way out except to like the thousand you held you know three tenths at the thousand yeah Yeah, you're accounting for spin drift and that's it you know two tenths at a at a grand and then day two it's a completed ball game to where it's that 10 o'clock swinging over to four to all the way down to four o'clock to back to to one to nothing and or just mile an hour you know it's just there's nothing consistent about it it is literally throw a bullet correct throw the next one right behind it as fast as you can and that there's not a wind caller on the planet that can account 
for that type of change on a stage. You can't well, do that. It's impossible. Well, to do. I'm not going to say it's impossible though. I, I've I've seen a few people really impress me with it and tried to pick up a few tricks wherever I could. Um, for example, we were shooting in, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago at Southington at the um, Vortex uh, match. And mm-hmm. the wind was doing that craziness where it was a headwind that was teetering back and forth between, you know, you either had two tenths right or you had three or four tenths left, depending on which way it was teetering back and forth. And there just so happened to be a pretty decent wind indicator at the 400-yard line. And if you just took the time right before you shot to take a peek at that wind flag, I'm not saying it worked every time, but it was definitely something to help you get closer. And you know, since the targets were a few tenths wide, it made it where you were able to get some really good hits off of just that one flag. Now, some places like Paul's, where you know frontline defense you have all these straight narrow cuts a lot of times we do get a headwind we do get a tailwind and it's switching back and forth and it's a pain in the butt but if you can find just one one little flag that you can watch while people shoot like on this thousand yard deck there's several wind yeah. flags that are out there you can't trust them all but you'll no start you can't yeah, we in fact, me and CL had lunch yesterday, and we were talking about Paul specifically. It's almost like he leaves those flags up on purpose to oh, fool people, to fool them, because they the, those flags lie, I think, more times than they tell the truth. Um, I've seen I've seen those flags literally like not move, but yet you're accounting for a full value nine o'clock wind um you know what i'm saying and, and well, they're I, facing I, each you, other they're all exactly. all the flags are facing each other so when you shoot yep. the left hand side of that cut you have one wind hold and then when you shoot the right hand side of the cut it's exactly opposite um, yeah so the left side is all the odd num uh odd numbered yardages your five sevens nines and then the right side is all the evens and so there's a a, a t-post stuck in the berm at every one of those targets and they all got little surveyor tape on them little flags and, and i swear he leaves uh you know cl made a good point he said he leaves them up on purpose because people will rely like oh shit i got wind flags out there all right use them uh, yeah go ahead yeah, and rely see on what wind flags. yeah see what happens but a little a little uh hack here i don't care what the flags are doing there is never a right to left wind on that thousand yard deck. Not the one down at the at the far, the newer one down at the bottom, but the the old, the original thousand yard deck. Um, that'd be typically like stage ten or stage whatever eleven. Um, that will there because if you've been there, you'll know on the right side of that range is a thick forest i mean it's it's trees there's nothing but solid woods area there's no cut throughs of that where his prop because that's the property line is the is the right side boundary on that on that actual particular range the wind never i don't care what the flags are doing you're holding for either straight up uh, or or left wind or uh, somewhere in in between but you, you'll you'll never have to like hold on the right side of the plates on that 
on that because the wind's not there. But the flags will lie to you. Those flags will, will show a right to left wind. But it's it doesn't materialize downrange. And those flags might be positioned in some of those areas where there's cut throughs going to some of those other ranges and you know, you're getting a little bit of a wind tunnel in some spots and you're mm-hmm. not really getting the true overall value for what's out there. It's I'd be curious to see if I've ever held right of center on anything on the right hand side, like those even numbered targets. I'm trying to think if I've ever held right of center and I just can't remember right now. All right. I think I think we got you back. So we had we had a, a little bit of technical difficulties um, of the internet that was on my end. So anyway, but yeah, like we're talking about those the the wind flags on the on the right hand side of the range will show a right left wind, and like you said, it's it might be something like where those the wind flags are, uh, you know, like a, a tunnel cut through where the wind is is switching or, or swirling in there and is doing that, but it doesn't materialize downrange with your bullet flight is what i've always i've never held to the right side of that plate any of the plates on that range it's always straight up or you know hold hold you're holding the left wind but um yeah so yeah i don't know if i can say the same thing i i really held the right side of the plate well i want to say i have on the left hand side of the cut but i don't know if i ever have on the right hand side of the cut Really, I, I, we, I, I mean, I believe you. I just, I haven't, I haven't experienced that. It's always been either straight up or I'm holding the left. I'll and have I've to go way look back at some old matchbooks. If I go look back at some old matchbooks, we can see. Yeah, but you know, you you started. I I picked your brain a little bit at the at the Guardian match, and you were. I was like, how are you? We were all fighting wind calls that day, and you know. I was shooting a damn 25 Creedmoor with a monster BC and you're shooting a 223 and you were absolutely skull dragging everybody. Um, <laughs> in that match, you and Laurel Aikenhead were skull dragging everybody. And, uh, but, and you, you, I kind of picked your brain for a minute and you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm in the binos and i'm i'm watching their trace and at the same time watching there's other indicators out there and i'm kind of pairing the two what that bullet does in relation to what those indicators are showing me and um you know you can you, you've got a, a trained enough eye to where you can basically tell what they were holding without asking them by the path of the bullet for the yeah. most part it, yeah a lot of times you know when it's real light it, it still looks kind of straight but you can really pick up the bullet path and, you know, especially when it's at its peak where it's at and where it finally ends up, you kind of see, oh, that's about, you know, four ten, however, however much it is. But at the same time, you know, you, you feel it on your face. You see what your wind flags are doing at you. You just watch this person go in and burn one a half a mil off the right. And you're like, well, what the hell is out there in the middle of nowhere? And, you know, oh, well tell you what there's a tree on the right hand side that has a limb and when that limb decides to push downward um 
that's my high value. You know, and it doesn't always work exactly like that, but you're always just looking for something that'll give you an indication, a quick glance to look over. I mean, I've looked back in the middle of the stage multiple times at my flag on the binos or the American flag or, you know, whatever's available to me just to get an idea. Is the wind going to hold or is it going to be completely different on this next shot? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, that is, uh, it takes a lot of, uh, what's the word, I guess, self-awareness on a stage to do that because I mean, people, most people are worried about just getting steady on the target. Right. And timing you know? out and people want right. to, you know, rush through it and you know, you it's cliche, but you cannot miss fast enough to win. Get, get as many, make every shot that perfect shot and however many you get off. Well, I'll take those as hits. That's fine. Yeah. I'll take those six or seven rather than two. Every days. time. Every time. Yeah. And, and and like me personally, I don't really have that issue with worrying about timing out. I typically have to worry about just taking my time. I spending more time on the clock is because I just naturally I'm not I don't feel like I'm making a conscious effort to rush as much as it is. I, I, I that's just the speed at which I shoot typically. And I, I need to. And I try to, I try to make a conscious effort to slow down, but I also need to have that clarity of mind to where, like you said, I'd never thought about turning around, looking, looking at my tripod and looking at what the wind flag on my tripod is doing in the middle of the stage. I've never looked behind me before in my life. I've done I mean, it to the point where people, ROs and, and other people have literally stopped and asked me, who was giving you wind calls? So what were you doing? You know, what were you doing looking behind you? Who were you talking to? And it's like, dude, I'm literally looking back behind me, looking at the flags. I got a few of them on video like that. that are kind of comical because nobody's saying shit. No one's That's saying hilarious. a damn word. I'm just no. literally I break the shot, watch where it goes, turn around, look at the flag. All right. Send another one. That's going to hold. And, you know, was doing that in between positions and, or, and sometimes in between shots. Uh, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes the wind at you is not representative of what the hell is going on downrange. So it can fool you also. That's crazy. Yeah. And I would love to be in your squad when that, if that ever got brought up, <laughs> I would love to be able to hear like, who are you looking at? I would die laughing if that was the case. Yeah, like, no, it giving is- Burnsy a wind call. Burns is giving us wind calls. What the fuck are you talking about? So that that's hilarious. Um, you know, I have I have referenced on this show multiple times, and, and I used you as an example of, and I've talked to you and given you shit about it, and, and and make you make you blush or whatever. But you know, you are my go-to example when I talk about people that they are where most people are in their career they're right there that there's 100 shooters there in that 50 to 30 uh place at the end of the day um and you were there what two years ago you're right there same way as all of us and then it was like then two years ago i think 2020 was your kind of breakout year to where you were i mean 
nowhere to be seen in those you are always at the top you know you're when you're at a match you're in the hunt to win it and, and it's amazing to see that progression in you know a relative short time you know that of you know now like i said people are people are worried about you chasing their tails or maybe they're chasing yours and that wasn't the case two years ago. And you have just made this transformation and it makes me feel good. And like, gives me like, all right, well, if, if Burns can do it, the, anybody, oh, you know, you can do it. Wants to, oh, can do it. You know, it is absolutely doable. And I think one of the really big benefits that one day everything just started clicking actually came after I worked with Jake Vibbert at pig river doing a training class and there were, you know, every training class you go to, if you can just pick up one or two little tips and tricks. Um, I think the way he explained it to me as far as making the correct first win call and also having a backup plan for, well, if that doesn't work and you don't see what's going on, then what do you do next? Um, and I, I've modified that this last year, but at the same time, going and training with someone who is far better than you is it's the way to do it. I mean, any opportunity you have to really spend some quality time, not not with not at a match, not when everybody's trying to do stuff, just as a learning experience, just like you went and did the modern day sniper course, how much I don't know how much you picked up from that course, but even if you only picked up one thing that will help you get points, it's worth going. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I mean, I think even some of the people who you're talking about that are putting on these courses, I believe that even they could go to even though they're qualified to to give those courses or more than qualified if they went to someone else's they could pick up one thing that uh, just maybe an, absolutely a, just an alter uh, an alteration to maybe something how they do this one thing like well shit that that clicked i never thought of doing it that way and i mean we saw it in the dog world all the time about training i mean there's a thousand ways to train a dog to sit but if somebody's figured out a way to get it like maybe the dog can understand it more or the the dog can um retain it more or it, they learn it quicker without with less repetition fuck yeah show me you know what i'm saying i mean i i, can, I know 100 ways to do it but i'm looking for that 101st and that are better than the first 100 so um, like real quick just you know it's not going to make anyone magically better but tips and tricks for going into the stage making your win call I've learned that, damn, that Kestrel, if you put the right shit in, it will give you the right shit out. And let's say you run a five mile an hour at 10 o'clock and it either works or it doesn't work. When you're done with that stage, well, I'll modify that to whatever I actually held and rerun the numbers. Say, yeah, that that's about right. When you go into the next stage, well, there's my wind angle. There's my wind direct, you know, my speed. 
that's what I'm going in with the first shot. And then everyone, you know, if you see your shot and you see your miss, well, you just correct to it. You pull a trigger, you see a big old clot of dirt jump up a half mil to the right. Well, hold half mil left and send it. At the same time, what's your what's your secondary plan? What what happens when you pull the trigger and you don't see trace and you don't see an impact and no one hollers hit, none no one hollers impact. What do you do then? Well, I I know exactly what I do. Do you have a, a backup plan for that case? Well, I mean, we kind of talked about that. I, mean, I don't want to give too much away of what the course had because, well, they want people to pay to go do the course, and I don't blame them. But I, I will say that that's, that is kind of related to what I talked about as far as what I picked up from Kalen on just your your data card for a stage is having those brackets. And, and hey, if it didn't work here, try this bracket because you gathered intel you gathered data before you went up to the match on what those those winds are doing right, you should then, know your low you should know your average you should know your your possible high and you know when you have a a decent amount of wind you're like well i've never seen it all day since we've been out here all morning it has never got below three miles an hour so if i run my three mile an hour wind and i don't hit well, there's no way I'm gonna hold straight up, you know. Right, I, I exactly. got to go the other way. Or yeah, or, and, and make bold, make bold correct. Don't be scared to make bold corrections. Don't move over a tenth because no, you're just gonna miss you one good. tenth less. Yeah, you know, you're gonna miss the target one tenth less. That's it. You're still a miss. How many people do you see do that? And by the end of it, you're you're like, hey man, you burn a hole in the same. You put up a group that was a a half minute group about. Four tenths to the right of the target, you know? I'm guilty of it. I ain't just see it. I'm guilty of it. You know what I'm saying? And that's one of those things that we talked about. And one thing I like that that uh, Phil did, we were doing uh, like a tripod qual. And what he wanted to do, a uh, known distance tripod qual, what he wanted to do was he wanted you to give before you pull the trigger on that, that target. He wanted, to verb, wanted you to audibly give him your wind call before you made the shot. Hey, what are you holding for wind right now on that 735-yard target? Uh, you know, six-tenths left. All right, send it. Send it. Hit. Good job. It was a good call. Now, you're going back, you know, 30 degrees to your left to that target. It's 580 yards. Like, you know, the uh, the top German helmet on the left, right. the top of the hill on the left? He's like, no, what are you holding there? Um, holding two-tenths left. And okay, send it. You shoot, and you know you burned it off the the right edge. Okay, what's your next wind call? Like, give me your next wind call. And so that you have to not just consciously only moving over a little bit left. Like, no, I want to know what number you're holding. What hash mark are you holding for that next one? So that it makes you think about it. Okay, that was two tenths. I might need to give it uh give it a half mil or four tenths all right because you have a buffer in the in the in the plate size correct to the middle don't correct to the edge absolutely correct to the middle because we're i don't care if you hit it you miss it it doesn't matter your next shot you want to be in the center of the plate you don't want to just hit the plate you want to hit the middle of the plate that way uh if anything happens to pick up let off 
you know, you're still in that window of making that impact. So yeah, you might, you might correct towards the middle and still just catch the edge. Right. But, but that's okay. But if you though. just help for the edge, you're missing it. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and that, that's one thing that I, one thing I really picked up in, in, uh, plan, plan to definitely make kind con- and I feel like I've always known that, but I maybe didn't make a conscious effort in, in utilizing that and, in, in implementing that. And I need, I need to, I know I need to, and it'll make it, you know, it might not do well for your, or do you any good for your first shot, but it damn sure will for your second one on that target. Now, if you were just holding for a two mile an hour wind and you missed, or no, excuse me, a two tenths, let's say that was a, a two mile an hour wind you were holding for, uh, your next target, if it's in the same cone, like a fire, like direction of fire, well, you need to hold for your, you know, four mile an hour wind or five mile an hour wind. Plus the distance. On, plus, yeah, right. So on, on the next target. So you know what bracket it is. Now, obviously the, 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 the correction amount will be different for a different yardage target, but it's still in that same bracket, right? So that's, you know, that, that's something that I definitely plan. Like I've, I've spent since I got home, hell, it was actually, I did it on the way home. I started spending money to on buying things to help that they're going to make me pull the trigger no better or see a target no better. It's I bought I've always bought uh, I've been using that um what's it called the cheat sheet the Coltac cheat sheet and I love that thing and I use little name tag stickers and I write on the stickers and put it on the cheat sheet when the, the stage is over I pull it off or I just put the next stage over it. The problem is that it's so small I can't do I can't put but so much information, information on that, right exactly on that. Now I love that I love the product itself, and on some stages I'll still utilize. It. I'll keep it in my pack. But when it's going to be, especially something like a troop line or whatever, if it's one, if it's a one target like five position stage, that thing is you know fine. But you're gonna have your dope dot on, but you can just put wind on it, right? But when you've got you know five targets and you you actually have wind. I can't fit that information on that little card. So I went and bought me a new arm board to use three by five cards with. And I'm going to have that. And not only that, but I'm going to have hard dope as well for, you know, you know, from, you know, probably 300 to a thousand on there in case I, David makes a bonehead move and doesn't, I've done it before. I've been, uh shooting that was a 700 something yard target at pig river this was two or three years ago and i had the dope from the previous stage and not the one on that one and no one i had no one to ask hey what's my dope or whatever and so i mean i fucking zeroed the stage yeah well we've all done it and you were laughing i'm laughing in my head now because at the guardian match that i i did really well at pig river and and day one i missed so I was trying that was to help at the bunker, my, it was on the bunkers, right? All right. So it was at the bunker and there was a couple different target distances. And one of them was, I don't know, maybe your first couple shots were at six and change. Um, I was using my Kestrel to help my partner oh, yeah. with his dope. He, he had a lot of difficulties 
with elevation and we had you know, started to figure it out. I was writing down all of his dope and he was shooting the numbers I gave him and it was working out pretty decent. And for some reason, I just decided to on my card. Uh, maybe it was because I was our own or maybe it was because I just wasn't paying attention or, or it just happened. I wrote, all, of I wrote all of his dope down on my card. Right. And when I sent that first round, I just looked and said, oh, this is not it. It was <laughs> nowhere. And then I, I I looked up and I looked at what my, was written on the card. And, I, and then I looked at the scope. And I said, well, they match. And I looked at the target. And I said, damn, I think it was way over. And I just in my head decided, all right, that number can't be right. I want to say it was somewhere around six. Well, I think I ripped it back down to like three and sent another one. And it was low, but it was in the, it was in the ballpark. You can like, measure and correct off of that. Right. And now, now I have something to go off of because up, oh, I saw it. I know where it's going. No problem. And then when we went to the other part of that stage, we had sh- actually shot those targets the day before. And I had wrote down something that was not right. And I just I just happened to remember, okay, I know my hold was uh, I think I dialed one point five and was using a three tenths holdover on the far one and aiming at the near one and just turned it up, shot it, hit, 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 no problem. But knowing your rifle and knowing you know, a lot of people shoot a bunch of different rifles, but being able to say, Oh, that target's about six hundred yards, I should be dialing uh I don't know. 3.6 or, or whatever caliber you're shooting. Knowing that rifle can really help you out of a jam when you do something really mentally screwed up like that. Oh yeah. Or, or the, the, the fix for that otherwise is having your hard dope on you at all times, which is that it would have been hits. something that you could have quickly glanced at and got you in the ballpark. You know, maybe, maybe you wouldn't be, dead nuts but you'd be in within a couple tents and yeah. much easier to correct on that than missing you know 15 feet above the target on your first shot yeah and um so i bought that i bought a new uh a new uh, battle belt a web belt or whatever i bought i i because i've always like when phil came here and stayed with me and we shot the garden together here. When was that? 2019, 2018, 2019. I, uh, I asked him, I was like, yeah, that's, I, I like, you know, your, your setup for your mags, your dump pouch, all that stuff. And then finally I asked him this weekend, I was like, what, who makes that belt? Because I bought one that I'm not going to give out the name because I don't, it's a good company, but I, I hate it. I don't like it at all. It doesn't, I, I got to the point where I just quit wearing it because I don't like it. It loosens up all this stuff and I, I just didn't like it. Uh, and it was a, his was a, a Ronin tactics is a freaking expensive ass belt. I bought it and I bought two new mag, uh, mag holders from my AW mags because well, another screw had backed out of my other one of, I had one screw out of one mag well back out and get lost. So I use a zip tie. And then the other mag, I had the same thing happen. And I was like, I'm getting new ones that don't have all these stupid screws in them. And then um, I also bought a dump pouch because I can have mag there. I can just throw it in there or put my rain, my um, chamber flag in there. 
So I got I bought all that stuff. Like I said, I bought the arm board and I went to office uh, went to Office Depot. Those things like that, no, they don't make you a better shooter, but they make you a more prepared shooter. And it that's what I I really felt was missing is things um like I mentioned on another podcast, I had gotten the Coltac playbook just because I'm tired of me holding with some Love force that of thing. Yeah, I got it from you. I got it from uh, yeah. you. Like I love you that told thing. Me, I it asked is... you, remember, we were by the bunker, and I asked you, I said, who fucking makes that thing? And you told me what, you told me what it was. I was like, all right, well, I'm ordering one. I ordered one as soon as we got home, and I got it. And, I mean, I can't tell you. I, normally, when I'm writing dope down, if it's not a – if the course of fire is not like one of them spiral binder books, it's a piece of paper. When I'm, like, putting my hand behind it and, like, punching my pen through the paper, Absolutely. all that stuff. And, and this like, hey, I got a clipboard here. I've got my Kestrel. I got my pins. I bought extra fine point pins to where it's, things are more legible in smaller writing than a bigger medium point pen. I bought different colored um, like Sharpie ultra fine markers to to do wind differently than than my elevation. And it's all organizational and um, prep stuff that that I that I you know wanted to get squared away because that's something that yet you may pick up a couple shots because you were more prepared it could be one stage that you saved yourself on or one target that you may have looked at your card wrong or you couldn't read it or whatever and you dialed the wrong dope or held the wrong wind or didn't follow the directions of whatever you got written on there and well okay there's there's three shots or two shots or hey how many times have you beaten someone out from one shot Absolutely. And the competition is so tight right now. There are so many, you know, good shooters that show up to these matches where it's it's anyone's game. And a lot of times it comes down to one shot or or even it could one second. Absolutely. It could be a a second on the barricade. At the same time, though, if you get more hits, I don't care what my time is on the barricade. So. I'm not yeah. a fast barricade shooter. I continuously yeah. are in that 50 plus second time. You yeah. know, I can I'm, go faster, pretty, but I probably won't yeah. hit them all. Right. Yeah. And that's where I, and I don't, in, in the class last weekend, we talked a lot about like Owen has a, a the, their, um, Kalen's buddy. And he's, he's been on their podcast twice. He has a, a background. I'm not sure what it was. It was a some type of background psychology and stuff like that. We he got he gave a like a 20 minute briefing on stuff and sympathetic nervous system and what happens when you hear that beep. It's like all of a sudden that beep erased everything that was in your brain that you needed to retain. And people have target panic because of all stuff. I I I don't battle that because I used to and I fixed that. Um, but with that said. I still shoot fast. If I'm shooting good, I speed up. Just unconsciously, not not trying to at all. If I'm shooting good, I'm I'm speeding up, and that's where I drop one. Where I wouldn't have had I kept the same pace, and do, so that's something that I that I, I try to make a conscious effort of. Is, is okay, you're on. Let's say using use the skill stage as an example. You know, first position, first shot, impact impact you move all right my, my wind's good it's 400 yards a big ass plate 
impact, impact. I move and I'm, I'm, now I'm just in a groove. Well, that groove is when I yanked that trigger instead or of had a, the rifle slightly canted or, you know, any number of little things that could make it go wrong right there. And that's why, you know, you talked about the preparedness and not only do you need the preparedness before you hear the beep, but even having that quick little mental checklist before you break the shot. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I follow this. I try to make a pattern. I don't, I don't know if it's the right pattern or not, but I think everyone should have that some type of repetition to how they're breaking their shot. They're closing the bolt, exhaling, taking a quick peek at the level. Okay. Looks good. My hold is good. I'm slowly squeezing. Bang. If I do that every time, my split times are pretty consistent and you won't be speeding up between your shots because you have that little mental checklist that's, that's going on in between up. your yeah. shots. It's like a, almost like a speed bump. I mean, it's like, it, it keeps is. you from flying it's a little hiccup for, for you not to just hammer on it and send one. And you look up after you send it, go, how did that miss? And before you move the rifle, you're like, Oh, the level's buried, you know, to one yeah. side. Yeah, and I like the speaking of levels, uh, that send it bubble level that I got, not bubble, it's not a bubble, the electronic level. Yeah, I love that thing, dude, because I literally don't have to cut my eyes at it. While I'm looking at the target, I, it's glowing right in my face. If it's green, it's Gucci. If it's blue or red, we got to fix it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not quite that fancy yet, so uh, I'll just. Hey, you well, you obviously don't. You you don't need it, so you're. <laughs> I need all the help I can get, so. You're killing that. But yeah, like you're talking about, I, I try to make a try to put myself in the habit of saying what I, what I typically tell myself before breaking a trigger is the three things I say is breathe, squeeze, watch, breathe, Absolutely. squeeze, watch, because I want I want to breathe because I am a very egregious offender of holding my breath. And I've been working on that in dry fire a lot. And I talked with Jacob Bonham about that, about how I make, cause he's real big on breathing. Like it's, he's, a, he harps on it a lot because it's something that for some reason in shooting people decide they want to hold their breath. Like you don't hold your breath doing anything else other than swimming. Why are exactly. you, why are you holding your breath shooting? I can't answer that question, but it happens, you know? So, and so it happened to me too. And, and I used to be like that at least a couple of years ago, I was really bad about it. And you're kind of laughing. You're like, wait a minute. I only shot for 90 seconds. I barely moved anywhere. And I'm over here sucking air. What the hell is going on? And I said, yeah, and it's making your heart rate go up too. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I had people videotape me, you know, either during a practice or during a stage of the match and notice, oh, wow, you're an idiot. You just took four shots. I'm pretty sure you took four shots without breathing. Or took you know at least two in a row off the same position, and it was like, uh, this is not the right way to do this. So I was actually getting to the point where I was exaggerating my breathing, like large breaths. You could audibly hear me exhale in the videos, and actually that worked out really well. And even to this day, when someone's videotaping me on a stage, if I can hear myself audibly exhaling, I'm usually th- shooting pretty good right then you know yeah, everything's yeah. clicking you know i had a, a listener um but actually i had a, a, a few listeners that were in that um that course miss last weekend and one of them was uh 
Corey. He's a deputy out of Ohio's Corey and Jeremy. They came together, both deputy sheriffs in Idaho. And I, one thing I noticed about watching him shoot is every time he runs that bolt forward, I hear break. He was doing that, which that's right. That's what you're supposed to do. And, um, you know, he was having some some gun issues like feeding uh, some feeding issues with his rifle for a lot of the a couple of times on the weekend. But he um, I, that's just one thing I noticed watching him shoot was, you know, you could hear him from, you know, 10 feet away. Break, you know, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And, um, you know, so I'm having to, you know, so tell myself to breathe. Don't. My, I tell you, it's got to be a lot, not every match, but a lot of matches. I can attribute probably seven or so misses to absolutely bad trigger pulls. Just me actively pulling the trigger is what took me off the target or I broke it while off the target um, where it wasn't a busted wind call. It really wasn't a, you know bad position or unstable position it was just poor trigger mechanics poor trigger mechanics and just the signal from my brain to my finger just did not line up right and i mean i can attribute a quite not every like i said not every match but some matches yeah up to six to, to eight shots i need to mitigate that as much as i can so it's squeeze just gotta remind myself before each shot squeeze and then don't just shoot and move to the next no gather that data gather that data from what that bullet just did watch it try my best to pick up the trace and then watch what it does once it arrives at the target and trust the bullet the oh, bullet does not lie it don't so. lie it, it that's the true it's the truest thing in 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 life is what that bullet is doing no matter what flag flags lie kestrels lie your mirage lies how many times have you seen it paul's where you see mirage going going left to right and then everyone is holding on the right to get hits i mean i had to shoot first i want to say it might have been the war match or it, might, it was maybe up in pennsylvania or ohio I, I just remember from it wasn't this year it was the year before and heavy mirage going right to left put an educated guess on what the wind was based on the mirage made my first shot because you know i burns i get to shoot first a lot and sent that thing and when i saw the dust kick up to the wrong side of the crosshairs my whole everything that i thought i knew was no more good it was like how is that physically possible for the Mirage to be running that hard in one direction, yet the bullet go the other way? And it made you do a double take. It was like, I, how, I must have read the Mirage wrong. I must have done something wrong. But at different areas, different distances on that range, it was running all over the place. So it just happened to be when you looked at that target, you were catching a certain Mirage at a certain distance that was just – really really in front of you like you yeah, couldn't miss misleading. it absolutely yeah. and it was I, oh. can do, I can do you one better dude i've seen the dust off the plate from when the core of a bullet explodes and the dust off the plate the dust of the plate lied 
Well, I've seen that a lot more actually because, well, by the time the bullet hits that plate, it's already done what it's going to do. It's yeah, not moving I mean, anymore out there. The, so. the 500 yard deck at Paul's. There was, I don't remember what the actual stage was, but it was on the 500-yard deck, and the target was at the 500-yard line. And we're watching, and it wasn't just me. We all saw it and all mentioned it and, and, you know, spoke about it, um, the whole squad. It was literally Mirage. I don't remember what the directions were what, but the Mirage and the dust off the plate were going in the same direction, but it's opposite of what everyone used for wind. To get to a hit, get, to yeah. get a hit, so hitting the target, right, the, right, right, the left, and people are holding the left side of the plate or off the left side of the plate to get a hit. Like what the fuck? And then you, then you see the the dust off the plate just shoot that way. It's like that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, it's it's crazy. And but and that's the when bullet gotta... did not lie though. The no. other two factors that you would take into account to make that that educated. Uh, follow up wind call. They're they're liars, absolute liars. It, but hey, you watch that bullet did. It's going to tell you the truth every time. You know, un- unless that you're just no longer shooting in the same world from the last shot, where everything changed, no matter what. Everything that you couldn't see did change, and and now you're like hunting, making good guesses at that point. Um. But let's talk about your the next match after uh, we're kind of I know we're kind of jumping around, but that's how everything works in my head anyway. Let's talk about the match, uh, the Atlantic Coastal um, finale at Pig River. That was was it the following weekend or was it two weekends after the Guardian? I can't remember. It was it was pretty close to back to back. So um, I don't think there was anything in between. Yeah, I think it was back to back, and then the third week after that, or two weeks after that, at least you had the finale, the PRS right. finale in right. New Mexico. So, but let's talk about that that match at Pig River, um, the Atlantic Coastal finale, or whatever it was. Yeah, the the region, the Atlantic Coast regional finale. Um, you know, it was it was a good time. I like how a lot of things were you know, changed up. We really didn't have anything uh, the same as we did at the Guardian. And it was a it was a fairly tough match. Um, I wound up lucking out, and I did not win that match, but I got second place right behind Dan Chatton, and who's a phenomenal shooter in the oh, area. Dan's a killer, man. Dan's Absolutely, a killer. he's um, you know, as far as wanting to put yourself around people who are better than you, yeah, I'd like to put Dan in my squad every time because he's usually at the top of the pack. So um, Dan won the match. Congratulations to him. I lucked out. I, I got second place. The gun was shooting very well, uh, was able to make good calls. And, you know, I had had no real major problems. I think a lot of times whether you finish in the top three or in the, you know, 15th can go, did you have that one bad stage? Did you – forget something or dial wrong or, or just totally screw up your wind or um, shoot out of order or, you know, mental mistakes just really crush you. If you, re- if you're in the hunt, that one stage can really hurt you. And luckily I really didn't have any of that. I had a few 
few stages where I bled a few points, and it was a pretty good match. So I really enjoy shooting at Pig River. Um, it's usually different enough conditions between matches where, hell, you could probably have the same targets every time, and it'd be completely different from day one to day two, you know? Yeah, well, that's I, I, I found myself multiple times this past weekend when anything like that funky that funky shit happened was brought up. I was like, "Welcome to Pig River," you know. There was only a couple of us that had like uh, Mike Dotson. He he's a, a veteran from a, a Pig River veteran. He's there all the time. He lives fucking fifteen minutes up the twelve minutes up the street from the range. He's always there. Uh, me and him and a couple other guys were only the ones that spent a, a, a good amount of time at Pig River. So we um, we we knew what it was nothing out of the ordinary and, and a surprise. But every time someone was like, holy crap, like that was that was crazy. Yep. Welcome to Pig River. That's that's what we have here. And <laughs> welcome. Uh, partake, sir. <laughs> and it was uh, it's one of the places and it's. It's one of my favorite venues to shoot. It, even the, despite that, I know it's going to be an awesome course of fire because if well, Josh Bandy's directing it, it's going to be awesome. Or if he's got Andy Slade and, and Brian Lewis doing the VPRC stuff there, it's going to be an awesome match. You know, those guys are, are great matchmakers too. And then you get them with a venue like like Pig River. It's it's the combination. Yeah, I'm really happy that they're able to. You know, Josh is nice enough to let. Uh, Andy and Brian do their thing at Pig River because a, you know, every match director at every range has their way they think a match ought to be run. And bringing in someone different to shoot at your range really shows you the potential of what could be, you know, they really change things up. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see, uh, you know, what another match director could do at uh, any of the other ranges. You know, you see the new see the new flavor, you know what I'm saying? See what kind of what they. How they would use the lay of the land or how they would use stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, I agree completely. Are you shooting um, top Jimmy's match? I most likely am not going to be shooting any matches until I would say February. I'm hoping when the schedule comes out. Um, I'm likely going to be shooting Paul's two day, and I would hope to have at least a one day somewhere in the area before that. Um, Just you know, to get you tuned up, ready for a big two day match. Yeah, I was looking at that. Uh, there's a match in Texas. My sister is actually just moving to Texas uh, here in the near future. You know, Christmas time. So I'd really like to go shoot down there again. I, I went and shot uh, Best in Texas. Um, man, that was two years ago now. And had a great time. Super cool venue. It seems like every time I go west of the Mississippi River, I'm getting a little bit better every time. So oh, yeah. I'd like to be able to go out there and do that again and maybe if we're lucky get a chance to go shoot some uh, birds shoot some quail and stuff if the timing's right Super i hear fun that there. yeah i haven't done i haven't done uh any real traveling outside the east coast um for shooting at least 
Um, and, and I want to, I don't, I'm not, well, my two things. I have so much going on outside of shooting that that's just like, I'm, I'm fishing the big rock again next year, fishing the big rock modern tournament, uh, with Jeff, uh, on the UPKIA. And then I'm going back to Kentucky next season, deer season for, uh, a rifle hunt in Kentucky. My, my favorite place in the country to go, which is right there in the heart of Kentucky, Nicholasville at Whitetail Heaven. Um, and then other things I, I'm sure I'll have, like jiu-jitsu seminars I'm going to. I, I'm not able to string myself out, plus all the local matches at either Pig River or Frontline or Coleman's Creek or whatever that I plan to shoot. But um, uh, Ted Hoger, uh, um, he is a jack master on Sniper's Hide. I'm sure he's probably listening to this. He had an idea. He's a listener. He's been on um, uh, the Frank Galley's podcast, the, the Everyday Sniper, as a guest, and he do, he works with Frank and Mark Taylor on doing like creating. He's like he's like a living Excel spreadsheet. He it's his way of breaking down data and putting it on paper in front of you and being able to utilize it is. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, he helped with the modern updated windrows. He helped do weaponized math. He helped do it. He helped, he's helped do a whole bunch of stuff like that. He messaged me recently um, wanting with an idea of like a match swap. He'll come here. I don't even know exactly where he is. But I know he's further. He's out west. He wants to come here and stay with me. And I host him for a match out here. We're probably going to do. If we do it, the match that he'll come to is the Frontline Fury, you know, in February at Paul's. And then I will go with him. And I think we well, might make it Jeff and CL go as well. And I'd love for you to come along if you wanted to as well. But go to the Vapor Trail match in uh, Missouri. When is um, that? I have to look back at the schedule. It's August, like the weekend, like the first First or second weekend in August. Um, Missouri in August sounds a little bit warm. Oh, dude, it's gonna be hot as two squirrels fucking a little sock for sure. Um, let me look at my calendar here. I can give you a better idea of when that match is. And I say that, yeah, it's the fifth and sixth. Oh no, excuse me, it's the sixth and seventh because I know that because my son's birthday is on the fourth, and we're gonna do his birthday party the weekend before instead of the weekend prior so i could go assuming i can go as of right now i mean we're almost you know we're what 10 months out from that um or 11 months out from that no not no. quite no. no you're talking about nine months, out from that. nine months out from that is that one let's see magnolia meltdown no it's the vapor oh. trail Vapor Trail Bullets are the one you're the host of that. I got you. That match, whoever it is. But that's uh, simply because it's an eight. It's the only one that's even like feasible for driving for me, which would be 18 hours. I don't want to fly. I don't want to fly with the gun shit, and especially with COVID stuff going on. I mean, I flew to Flo- the Florida uh, a couple months ago, but you know that's also not with rifle in tow. And then I get there, and then. Well, fuck. And I know people do it every day. It's fine, but I don't know. If I can drive it, I'd rather drive it. And I think me and CL might drive it. Um, but that's the closest match to me. And 
Um, so I might do that, but yeah, I can imagine what I'll pick up going out there in shooting in Missouri wind and, and stuff like that. That's just a different, I've never been in the state of Missouri before. So that's, that's, yeah, I mean, I'm excited because exactly what you just said, every time you go out West, you come back a little bit better of a shooter and you can bring that, bring that here. And that's, you know, to your, add it to your game here. And it, you see it, you see the results at a match here from shooting there. So, um, so, all right, so then fast forward to a couple weekends ago for the finale. So you had, you had a strong showing at the finale, too. Yeah, Pro Series. All right, so the finale for me, day one was rough. I had a couple things not quite go my way. Um, made a, you know, not really a shooting fault, but I definitely put a bullet in a case with no powder in it and having a squib on a stage or what you, what I thought was a squib or, you know, it didn't matter. It was like, Oh crap. I know they'll pull the trigger. It sounded like a suppressed 22. It's all I heard was a little pop and I saw no trace. No, nothing. I didn't think the bullet came out the barrel. And so I'm sitting there pulling the bolt out, look, trying to look through the barrel to see if it's clear, you know, beating on the, buttstock of the gun thinking that the bullets just hung up in the throat and turns out at the end of it um timed out because of stupidity and poor reloading skills so every aspect of this game is important um day one was a little bit rough wind beat me up a little bit and but i wasn't shooting bad like there were certain stages where i don't know what I could have done better to get a, another point because you would shoot, you would see the impact. You had time to, you know, mill it and say, okay, I missed four tenths off the right of the plate. Plates four tenths wide. I'm going to move six tenths left and sent it. And then damn, if it wouldn't land on top of your crosshairs, you know, it was just in, in the middle of the day, on day one, we had I had two fairly long-range stages back-to-back. I went from holding, I want to say I was holding right over a mill on some of the targets to when we walked and got on the little trailer and they trailed us back to stage one. By the time we started shooting on that stage, the wind had completely changed directions. And I felt bad for anybody who was shooting – in the middle of that when it decided it would switch over it was maybe 30 seconds of slack time where there was no wind where you could have just ran spin drift and sent it clean the stage oh it would have been great but if you were holding you know for a eight nine twelve mile an hour wind and all of a sudden it died on you man i know there's a lot of people that that happened to so uh the, it, the wind did make a big switch in the middle of the day, but it really wasn't as strong of a wind out there that I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I want to say I, I ran probably single-digit numbers for most of the match as far as, you know, seven to nine-mile-an-hour winds, but it was never really that constant. It was yeah. pulsing. It was... You know, your average might have been seven, but for 30 seconds, it stays seven. And the next 
20 seconds it was down there at five and then back up to 10 and it was uh it was interesting it was south south east ish yeah see it it didn't really change direction i mean it changed one large direction flip but even when the wind was coming from a constant direction it was just up and down you know gusty gusty like so then um i pulled my head out of my butt and shot really well on day two i think at the end of day one i was in a hundred and i don't know 106th or 108th out of the 220 couple people that were there and day two was a little bit less um distance stages for me which really helped me as far as that two two three but I didn't miss very many shots on day two and cleaned quite a few stages, had a really good time jump up to 56th place overall at the match. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's a, that's a big deficit to come back from. You literally cut, you cut the damn scoreboard in half from between where you started on day two and where you ended up. And that's, right. that's, that's a, like I said, that's a very strong showing, you know, who knows where you would have been. I mean, it's all that always would have, should have, would have, could have. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, who knows had, you know, that one stage plus, you know, if hey, you just shot as well. That's why that it's a two day you know? My year this year was a tale where I could shoot phenomenally for one day. And if it was at a one-day match, great. And I was shooting great. And if it was a two-day match, one of those two days, I would shoot phenomenally. And the other day, I just was not consistent. Like the the frontline match that we shot at, day one, thought everything was going great. Ended the ended day one, I think I was, I don't know, one point behind Joe Walls and a couple others. You know, we I was, hey, everything's good. Uh, day two couldn't get my shit together now here at the finale day one couldn't so, get my shit together and then day two uh i think i dropped like eight points all day or some crap so yeah it it's like two different people shooting so that's my big thing is working on the consistency from day to day for these two-day matches next year yeah and that's i mean that's you know the big you know, big aspect of a two day that is, and it sounds silly, but the fact that it's two days and you have to, to do really well, you have to show up both days. You've got to oh, absolutely. show up to shoot and you ne- you rarely ever hear that Rudy story, you know, of someone, you know, eating, eating shit on day one and then come back to win day two, come back from behind the everybody loves a comeback story, but those aren't those those aren't uh common right. in and this game you gotta be there back, because yeah. it's so tight the competition's so tight that you know the top five guys they had it together both days it's just yeah. one one or two guys had it together maybe a little bit more than the other two or three yeah coming so, back in this game at a two day yeah coming back from 10 points back is something that is doable coming back from 30 points back it, it's not gonna happen I mean, it just no, and I'm sure Austin, you know, Austin or Gain won the the finale again. I'm sure he absolutely burned it down. I mean, he's 
he's like transcended to a whole nother level of of this game. You know, he um, I, I, they got they got something in the water down there in Oklahoma, I reckon. I don't know, but they sure as hell love their troop lines because I know we shot yeah, a pile did. off of bipods and we shot a pile of troop lines out there. That's I probably shot more troop lines at the finale than I have the whole rest of the year combined. I'm sure. I mean, especially where you're where you're coming from and going to. I mean, you're lucky to get one or two troop lines in a match here, but you know because of maybe the lack of mile an hour and wind, they they make you pay for it down here in the positional stuff, the little shorter range positional stuff. Where out there you can on any given day be holding four ten. I mean, four mils of wind on a target because of such you know long range and, and there's just the wind is there, you know, you know, yeah, but Austin you know, any, did an awesome any job. He, he yeah. did an awesome oh, job because, I mean, he, he won the finale. I think he won the previous couple matches, the two-day matches that he shot this year. You know, he was he was on fire. So Yeah, and, and that reminds me and brings me to, like, the whole course topic of if you're, if you're wanting to learn to shoot, like, literally the act of shooting, and then you want to learn to um, – shoot anywhere and in any venue i mean look no further than you know the the modern day sniper guys and frank and, and mark's course i mean those courses teach you not just the fundamentals but how to apply them and everything if you want to learn how to up your sport game like absolutely specifically for sport those guys down in Oklahoma, the JTAC crew, they are, uh, I mean, the the proof is in the pudding. I mean, how many shooters have they taken from that middle pack? Kind of like your story, but, you know, even more so on a national level, taken from middle of the pack, and now they're they're placing, you know, they're taking, oh, yeah. home, hard, they're taking home hardware, hardware. After yeah. take, from taking their course. And it's, I don't know, I'd love to do it. I mean, I mean I'm all about taking courses and stuff and, and picking up things. I picked up stuff, a lot of stuff from Frank and Mark over here, and then I picked up some stuff from these guys over here and put them both in my game. I'd love to. I mean, neither neither one were like, hey, this is a competition-oriented course. This is a you pulling the trigger and getting a hit on target course. Um, and uh, both were just invaluable. Just they're great information, but for that, hey – I want to learn how you are running all of these stages, what you're doing, you know, before the stage, during and after the stage, those guys down there have, they've got it, they've got it going on. And like I said, they're, they're, they're posting numbers by their students. The proof is in the pudding. When you see what a lot of their students, what they came from, what they started at in this competition game. And then now what they're doing post that course um, and I think even, you know, Jake and, and John, they're that as well. And you, you know, you took Jake and Jake's course in. Uh, Absolutely. In that's what I said. I really think that any opportunity you have to work with these guys who have, um, you know, millions around downrange, you know, even if they're even if they're not someone who's. Uh, top PRS shooter or top whatever shooter. Any anytime you can get some training with someone who has that much experience, 
you're going to benefit from it. I mean, just like me, I, I, I've not been doing this that long. And I don't know. I think I've in the last three years shot, what, 50, you know, 50 matches, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You're all, so, you're always shooting a damn match. Right. So, I mean, I, I really put a lot of effort in these, especially this last year and shooting a lot of one days and as many two days as I could get to. Um, and I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not anywhere where I want to be, but you might not be where you want to be, but in my opinion, you are there. I mean, like when you're, when you show up to a match now, especially after this year and you know, you're there, especially down here in this, this region. I mean, I don't care if it's from Virginia down to Florida, if if Mike Burns is there, be looking for him in in the, be looking for him in the winter circle somewhere. That's the plan every time. It doesn't always work that way, but that is the plan. So, well, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work that way for the people that are winning multiple national level matches and, and championships and stuff. I mean, uh, Austin, even Austin Organ, as good as and talented a shooter as he is, I mean, he he'll show up to a match and and just not it not go his way. He can't go everybody's way every time, but you can set yourself up to where you're putting up numbers that you're that you're comfortable with. You can see yourself moving in the direction that you want to be in, and and you're definitely doing that. And it that's showing your success is showing with McKenzie, you know, you're with your your better half. Um, she is she's literally I was with her when she shot her very first match. And now she's shooting just as good, if not better than I am. And she's got, she's got a good coach that she's living with and that's great. And it's really showing that what you, the knowledge that you have accrued in doing this is transferable. And we're seeing it in her. She, she wasn't happy with, what did she get? Right. Regarding? Like eighth place? Ninth I don't know, place? It might've been eighth or 11th or something. It was, it was still really, it was still really good. Uh, when Gross. she shot her first match, uh, you know, it was learning experience and progressively, I think she's improving rapidly. So it's, we still have a few kinks to work out and hopefully, uh, I think part of it is, is I hate to blame the equipment, but I do think the rifle and I'm sure Phil and Kaylin, all those guys will agree. The rifle has to fit the shooter. Absolutely. I think we've been struggling a little bit with length of pull and her kind of twisting her body more than it should, which is causing the recoil to do a little bit funky things. And so actually uh, got MDT to send me another chassis with one of their short uh, stocks. Yeah. Super excited to check that out. And one of the other things is, I'm going to try to put a narrow cheek piece on it. Me, I have fairly wide eyes. So I was joking with a couple of guys the other day, like, you know, fucking hammerhead shark. Every time I go to look through someone's glass at a stage, I can only look through one of the eye holes. I got to open that thing up. Yeah, you then, do. I've got behind yours. I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> well, I can't. and that's the thing. So I feel like that wider cheek piece, when I have it centered up, doesn't really – I can still have a good head position and body position where someone who has a little bit narrower eyes could really me, benefit I, from I, that I, narrow I've got cheek. my binos like all the way together to be able to see through them. Yeah, and, you and Kyle's like that. Every time I jump behind his, every time a lot of people, I don't know, I must be the abnormality, but 
it does make a difference. And when, when a rifle fits you uh, and your head position, body position is right, it's a whole lot easier to see what's going on downrange. Um, Absolutely. You know, I made a comment this past weekend about, you know, the because there were there were a lot of shooters that, you know, they've been shooting for a while, but they're just now want to get to, you know, they basically say, hey, who is either just getting into or wants to get into competitive shooting? There's a lot of hands went up and you know, we started talking about it. And I made the comment like, you know, the PRS should change the name of the sport. It should be the you know precision spots your impacts series because that's the name of the game that's literally all you got to do is spot your shots and correct off of it and and see the changes down down range and everything and you know then bob's your uncle you're 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 off to the races yeah yeah and you can't it's so much harder to do that if you know it's really not set up it's not conducive for your right ability to see downrange there's a lot of things that are not conducive to uh good scores in the prs i feel bad i see a lot of these beginner groups on facebook and different things where hey man i want to get started in prs and i got my 300 wind mag that weighs 12 pounds and right uh, yeah i'm not saying you can't do it uh i've seen Big truck, you know, Craig Thomas wins some pretty big matches with a 300 win mag that didn't weigh 12 pounds. I mean, it, it's it's doable, but I think you're handicapping yourself starting right. out with something like that. Uh, starting out. Or even like a, 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 a hunting rifle in 308. I mean, even that, of course you can do it. You can do it with a damn I've seen a guy at a Guardian, an old guy, if you remember the one uh, a couple of years ago at Paul's where it pissed rain and cold all oh, weekend. Yeah. And the guy that got dead last was like some 78-year-old dude that had a single-shot 243 Ackley improved bench rest rifle. And he was hand-feeding every <laughs> yeah. round. Like, yeah. Okay, he shot the match. Did he do well? Fuck no, he didn't do well. I mean, so – yeah, that's uh, that's a whole nother aspect unto itself. But just having, a, hey, I'm shooting a dasher in a you know appropriate rifle. It's just not set up for my body, my right. height. It's, my it's two different things. It, it is two different things. And you know, picking the right tool for the job is step one, and then making sure that tool fits you as the as the shooter is the, the next step. Where you know. If my length of pull is wrong or my balance of the rifle is not right or, you know, if it shit don't fit me and I'm cocking my head over just to look through the scope or even the scope not positioned right where I'm having to stretch my neck forward or, you know, it, it really needs to be set up for the individual. Well, if you're uncomfortable, I mean, this this goes for rifle setup and also uh, positions, shooting positional. If you're not comfortable you're going to break shots just to get out of that position. You're going to break shots that you shouldn't just to get out of that. It's the same thing with either in being prone and having that turkey neck stuck out because your scope is too far forward or your length of pull is too long. Um, and, you know, or vice versa, pulling your neck back because, oh, shit, it's too close or whatever. You're going to, you're going to be making bad decisions simply because it's your body's response for, hey, you're not comfortable right now. This doesn't feel well. Let's get out of it. And so you're breaking shots that you shouldn't. Well, that that transposes into your shit score. 
So, I mean, it's, you know, it, all, all of it's important. There's so many aspects of this game. You think of this what we're doing. We're just taking this little bitty hunk of metal, and we are sending it out into space from here. But there is a long ways away. We're trying to hit a very small spot if you're, you know, you're wanting to center up impacts to, you know, like we talked about earlier. Just think about how crazy that sounds when you put it that way. I mean, and yet in every, what is it, every 16th of an inch on the rear section, it's equivalent to a half M away at 100. Well, what does that mean at 1,000? It, it means a lot. And, oh, absolutely. You know, we, talk, we talked about that, you know, this past weekend as well, and the the necessity of having, you know, consistency and everything. Yeah, I mean, a long shot, you know, we're, we are doing something that is very difficult. We're laughing because, you know, however many years ago, all of us, you know, took our hunting rifle with a duplex reticle and took grandpa's old 270. And, man, did you see that? I shot a groundhog at 250 yards, and that was a long shot. And I remember, you- my yeah, my first year in Kentucky, my first year. In fact, this is what made me get into the long-range game. I remember sitting in a stand where I had a 300-yard shot, possibly, uh, where, you know, when you're hunting, like, somewhere, like, just looks like, I believe that's where the deer are coming from. Like, that just looks really bucky, all right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it just, it just yeah. looks like that looks like, uh, whether it be, like, a, 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 shade, a shaded side of a tree line uh, in a bean field, like, man, or water, whatever – and like I'm thinking to myself, 300 yards, shit. I don't know if one comes in and stands 300 yards. I don't want to possibly wound a 160, 170 inch buck. I was freaking out, and I was like, well, I got to, I got to get better at shooting this stuff. And I talked with some people, and that's how I ended up. Sorry, I got a 300 wind mag. You know, I was shooting a 270, and I got a 300 wind mag, and I thought like, oh, cool, sniper shit. And um, it, it took me down this rabbit hole to get to where I am now, to where. I wanted to compete because that's what everybody did to get better hunting. That's what I wanted to do to get, you know, more accurate, more lethal at range. Absolutely. And a and lot it of, took a it, lot of people did the same thing. Myself. Yeah. Included. And, but then it, yeah. And then my, my passion and love for this game is now equal to deer hunting. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you, you fell into it accidentally and yet it turned out to be something that you love to do and it's equal importance to the thing that you were trying to initially accomplish but you know it's 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 a it's a feat if you think about what we're doing it's not uh you know hitting a baseball or hitting a golf ball or or making a jump shot or whatever no we're taking we're sending something into fucking outer space and (laughs) and trying to hit it you know what i'm saying it's like extreme long-range darts I mean, think how hard it is to hit a bullseye with a dart. We're, we're throwing darts at a thousand. Yeah, I still can't do that, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suck at darts. I'm but so at the same time, I practice shooting. I don't practice darts. Probably that. And you do. You send a lot You saw, You send a lot of round, rounds down range, and, and it shows in your uh, in your scores. So uh, what's your uh, – change of gears a little bit. Speaking of hunting, what uh, what's your hunting season been like? What's it going to be like? What's uh, What you got going on? So going back to what you said before about, you know, hunting kind of brought me into this and being a better hunter and wanting to be able to make the two, three, four hundred yard shot, you know, in some of these places. For me, PRS took a little bit higher importance than 
hunting season did as far as whitetail goes. Um, I'm pretty, I, I don't know. I love hunting, but I'm a really shitty hunter. I fall asleep a lot. And it's actually one of the most enjoyable things that I can do is go sit in the ground blind in a nice chair and take a little nap and wake open up, you know, wake up and open your eyes and look at the deer sitting there. Um, I've got a place that I go uh, in Nelson County, like uh, South Charlottesville, kind of towards Wintergreen. Sure. Uh, we have a large tract. You know, a lot of acres, very few people are in the hunt club. Uh, you know, it, it's been rifle season now. I actually went on Sunday. I shot that, I shot a 22 match on Saturday in Bristol, Tennessee, and then on the way back through, spent the night in the truck just to wake up and go hunting. I haven't brought the camper out there yet. So just slept in the truck, got up, saw deer. Um, picked a good spot in hardwoods on the mountainside and saw plenty of deer. Nothing that was major Peter. I want, yeah, nothing that really made me want to deal with the aftermath of taking the shot. But, uh, yeah, I do have a couple plans on, you know, shooting some in Nelson. I hope to, after deer season, hopefully get to Texas and go shoot some quail again. That's been one of my favorite bird hunts down that way and uh eventually i don't know i'm hopefully we can make it happen next year i've never shot a feral hog i want to be able to go i I don't care if i go out there with my match rifle go out there with an ar i might go out there with this monstrosity of a 4570 government revolver that i have oh snap and just go play, and I just want to go hog hunting. So, uh, Texas is definitely a place to go for that. Um, Friday, before the morning before leaving to go to Virginia, um, I got up, and luckily I had a, a buck that I've been watching um, since the summer and, and into the into the rut and everything. I, he came out on a piece that I can't I can't shoot. So I didn't. He was out there. I could. He was 150, 200 yards away, and I just had to watch him walk out of my life. And then he uh, just so happened to walk back in to my corn pile about 30 minutes later, and I couldn't believe he showed up because he went in a direction that I it didn't make sense of what he did or or whatever. When he came out the first time, he had his nose up in the air, and I think he was just checking that field for does, and uh, and there was nothing out there for right, him. So let me ask you about that then. Where I was at Nelson last weekend, I saw deer, does that looked like they were still with last year's fawns. I'm not sure the rut has even come in right there yet. Um, well, you got to take into account of multiple ruts. Um, it's not going to be one time a year for whitetail in the southeast. The reason why is because of the doe to buck ratio. The the amount of the number of of does in relation to the amount of bucks in any vicinity is going to directly determine multiple things. It's going to determine the uh, the amount of when the rut comes in. Not when it first starts, but 
uh, how many ruts you have. And I've seen I've seen deer get bred in March. Uh, I mean, it's because southeast we've got so many does. I mean, the average age of a buck. Well, I may be speaking on turn. I know a couple of years ago the stat was uh, the average age of uh, the average buck in North Carolina is a year and a half old because they get shot the fuck up. And then there's tons of does here. Um, and then also it'll affect the size of the deer's rack the following year, because what it does is as long as there is a, a hot doe in that deer's range, a roaming range, which obviously, you know, in the rut is much bigger than it is in the summertime. Oh, or, yeah after rut as long as there's a hot dough where they can smell their body is still producing the levels of testosterone to keep their racks their pedicles connected and then once let's say all the does are bred um the the bodies automatically stop not say stop producing but they slow drastically slow down the production of testosterone the pedicles close and then that's when antlers shed. shed. Well, if a deer shed, but as soon as they shed, new ones immediately start growing underneath. If the deer start, stops shedding, the same deer, same, it's a, like if you could scientifically prove this, like with one deer, a buck that will drop his antlers in, let's say, January or February, he's going to be much bigger, obviously, because he's had more time to grow than one that dropped it in March or April. Right. So, and your number of does in relation to bucks directly is directly affected by uh, or directly affects when your buck herd starts growing their antlers again. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, maybe they've already started started chasing and, and breeding and they're not right now and they're waiting for the next basically group of does to to come back in that either didn't get bred um or haven't hit their um cycle yet or are going to it's it's it, all these things are related yeah um, like i said i i must i'm not as educated on that i just know from previous years experience usually muzzle loading season is the time in virginia central virginia usually that's the time when you see bucks chasing mm-hmm and when, is, when is when is muzzleloader season in Virginia? So that was um, I don't know, about four weeks ago now. So well, that makes sense. I mean, that would have put it, let's say, midway, basically midway October. They at least start chasing, and a lot of that's got to do with moon phase, with weather, with this and that and the other. Um, so no, you know, most states don't. It's not always November. You know what I'm saying? November oh, yeah. is the golden time. It's not always that. I mean, Texas is down in like January is when in February is when their rut is. That's why you have such a late hunting season uh, for whitetail down there. Um, but yeah, he that that buck ended up walking back into my life and then uh, let the six Creedmoor eat and then uh, loaded him up in the truck. And then off off he was, and then uh, so I, I scored on him. Then a couple hours later, I left for Virginia, and we were at Pig River. I know we everyone, if you've been there, you've probably seen the bear that come out onto the range. Well, there was a uh, damn near every match. Yeah, right. I didn't. The bear had been out there before I got there on Friday afternoon. Um, but I didn't. I didn't see any bear while I was there. Um, Friday afternoon, Saturday, and Sunday. But I tell you what, Sunday. I mean, it was Saturday. I can't remember. Saturday or Sunday. 
a damn about 130 inch buck walked out and i tell you if i had a tag and then and uh si wasn't leasing that property i'd have had that that buck would have been taking a ride to carolina in an f-150 because that deer here like up there where you are 125 130 inch deer isn't really much to sneeze at here it's not no record setter but it's definitely more than your bigger than your average buck in in eastern north carolina at least you go western part of the state uh and especially north towards um virginia the the deer herds you know the deer quality i should say is is better they're bigger well that's the thing even in even in virginia like we're i'm lucky in central virginia we get fairly big bodied deer and a lot of a lot of crops in the area a lot of stuff for them to eat and they seem to grow pretty good antlers uh when you go towards the eastern part of the state you get little bitty deer that just shrink on up you know yeah little, little walker dog looking deer and when you get towards where we hunt in Nelson County, which is a little bit more in the mountains, the racks aren't quite as big as the average deer, like where I grew up in between Richmond and Charlottesville. But the body size, like their neck size, they're they're just a, a bigger weight, a bigger body deer. So, oh yeah. And a lot of that, I mean, a lot of that, the big body has a lot to do with the weather as well, how cold it gets there in that area. But also the soil is the biggest thing. The soil, you know, the, the what minerals and vitamins they're getting from the crops that they're eating, it's not the same as eastern Virginia. The closer you typically, the closer you get to the beach, the, the worse the soil is, the, the less nutrient dense the soil is. Well, there go, ergo the crop the crops don't have the same nutrients and stuff yeah i don't know how many deer get big off peanuts but uh i haven't seen any big deal on the coast yeah um yeah you can tell a deer's nutrition level by the the pearl on you know what pearl antler pearl is explain it to me antler pearls you see typically on their bases the little little bumps the oh the yeah, yeah. Nod, nodules oh, yeah. and bumps and stuff growing at their bases yep um and like around their brow tines and stuff um that is called pearl the more pearl that deer has on his antler the better he ate the more nutrient dense he ate so i mean it that I, I didn't know that until a few years ago i heard um what was his name I'm it's on the tip of my tongue now, but Dr. Deer from Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. Right. Yeah, I did not was, know that. I just know that, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, though, because where I grew up in Louisa County, which is, you know, central Virginia between Richmond and Charlottesville, uh, I guess what you're calling the Pearl, we, we had a lot of crops, a lot of places. You know, we set out food plots and uh, plenty things to keep them healthy and hell that's biggest deer i've ever taken had i don't know 50 of those nodules yeah, on the base on their, you know and on, on, on the oh, brow yeah. tines even going up to g1s you know like it was gnarly looking so yeah yeah so the, i mean like your your soil quality is going to it's directly affects obviously the crop quality and then that goes into them and it's just like you look at just us i mean eating bojangles every day or 
or are you eating like good healthy shit and then you, you'll see it physically how it you know affects the same thing with deer there's no, no different they just it just shows differently shows in their rack size shows in their pearls shows in their body size um like especially like you said that neck that neck region their shoulders all the stuff that you know makes a deer big well cool dude well i mean we had that little uh technical snafu earlier i believe that was about a 27 minute and we're here at an hour 22 on this one so i think we can kind of wrap this one up but mike it's been been way too long it's been a long time coming to get you on the podcast because i've referred to you in talking uh, on this podcast multiple times times. yeah Yeah, and and you know like i said you are my go-to de facto example of a shooter making that transition from the that mid pack mid pack range the, the the upper to mid pack to really upper like you're in the top in the five if, if not winning you know what i'm saying and i'm i'm proud of you and i love i love shooting with you. you're one of my my absolute top fa- favorite people to shoot with because i, I think you, you make me a better shooter but also aside of that more Try to so make it that, a good time make it make it a little a bit fun, fun. yeah you're a fun ass dude to be around, and 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 Mackenzie, I, I love her to death, and I know now she's she's with you shooting these matches some, and y'all better McKenzie watch out is, for her next year. She's coming, dude. Hey, son, you ain't lying. <laughs> like I'm serious. It, look, if you're in the southeast, we're putting you on notice right now. You know, Mackenzie Brown is is uh she's coming and she's bringing the heat with her, and uh, I believe she's she's only going to get exponentially better to where you know fuck a top lady she's gonna she's gonna oh, win no, the whole damn thing yeah, she, she's going for that hardware so yeah she she's gonna win the whole thing and open um anyway guys everybody thanks for listening as always thanks for downloading thanks for liking and uh make, like i said guys make sure you go over if you're not already go subscribe or follow the uh modern day sniper um podcast and uh and and give the which will be i guess their next two episodes uh, give them a listen and I think you'll enjoy it. We, I had a good time doing those. Uh, I hate that I had to leave early and I hate that I didn't get those two on, on this podcast, but we're, you know, we're going to be on each other's all the time because we just enjoy each other's company and, uh, and conversation so much. And I love having their wealth of knowledge on my podcast as well, but until next time, guys, we'll catch you on the flip.